This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Harley Grocery. No liquor, but we do make home deliveries. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's a creature feature week on Pod Cemetery with 1988's Pumpkinhead and 2018's A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place recommended to us by Harry, so thank you very much, Harry. And Pumpkinhead, recommended by Kryptonian Orphan and somebody else a long time ago, too. So sorry we missed your name. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Sometimes I cannot find recommendations in our emails or through Twitter, and somehow your name didn't get saved to it, and I'm sorry. Yeah, we hadn't started keeping track at that point the way that we do now, so apologies for that, but thank you guys for recommending these movies. Well, let's get right into our first one, Pumpkinhead from 1988, story by Mark Patrick Carducci, Richard Weinman, and Stan Winston, with a screenplay by Mark Patrick Carducci and Gary Gerani, directed by... Stan Winston, and starring Lance Henriksen, Jeff East, John Diacchino, Cynthia Bain, and Brian Bremer, and based on a poem by Ed (laughs) Justin. And that's what you will find everywhere. The poem is, Keep away from Pumpkinhead, unless you're tired of living. His enemies are mostly dead. He's mean and unforgiving. Laugh at him and you're undone but in some dreadful fashion. Vengeance he considers fun and plans it with a passion. Time will not erase or blot a plot that he has brewing. It's when you think that he's forgot, he'll conjure your undoing. Bolted doors and windows barred, guard dogs prowling in your yard, won't protect you in your bed. Nothing will. From Pumpkinhead... There is zero information about this poem online, and that's probably because Ed Justin was just a dude who wrote a poem because he wanted to scare his grandchildren. He wanted to write a scary poem for his grandchildren, and that's all he did. And Billy Blake, who's a producer on the movie, Uh thought it was kind of cool, and so he bought the film rights to it from him, just his buddy. (laughs) <laughs> and that's all that there was to it. And then uh, I told you about Gary Gerani and Mark Patrick Carducci. They had an idea for a series of movies, and each movie was going to be like a monster demon representation of one of the seven deadly sins. Mm. And their first idea was for a spirit of vengeance, mm. like Ghost Rider. <laughs> <laughs> But like a demon of vengeance. And so those two ideas kind of merged together into what we know as Pumpkinhead right now. But they didn't make any other ones? I guess not. That's a big disappointment. Yeah. Dino De Laurentiis was going to produce this originally. And his company is the one who hired Stan Winston in his studio to do the creature effects. And Stan Winston kind of wanted to direct. 
reading the script was like, I think I could do this. <laughs> and so he said, yeah, we will do the creature effects for this movie if you let me direct it. De Laurentiis's production company ended up not producing it. I think they went under or something like that. Mm -hmm. They went bankrupt or something around this time, so they never ended up producing it. But it, it still ended up getting made, and Stan Winston was tied on as the director, so that's pretty cool. But he did not contribute to the creature effects at all. Uh, his <laughs> team took care of it. He was dealing with director duties. Mm -hmm. And so he assigned his team to, to build it for him. Mm -hmm. And the way he described it is that he was the client that they were building something for. And so they <laughs> needed to treat him like the client. Uh, but the way they describe it, and basically everyone on set, is that he was just the best director to work with ever. Aww. Like he just made everyone feel super comfortable. And he was, you know, really chill to let people do what they thought was right and contribute what they thought was good. And so they just ask him things like, is this good? Yeah, that's good. You know, whatever. And they, they didn't have to deal with the normal stuff that they deal with, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. But even Lance Henriksen contributed his own stuff. He had the um, fake teeth made. <laughs> You'll notice his teeth are a little bit crooked. And, yes, I yeah. did notice that. So, so that, that's fake. It's his hat. He got the gun. He got the stuff that he gives the old woman. <laughs> All that is stuff that he sought out and obtained for the movie. So, like, you know, people got to contribute. It was generally a pretty great collaborative atmosphere, apparently. That's cool. Stan Winston did not direct much. But, yeah, this was his directorial debut. Can you tell us what his directorial debut is about? In this hillbilly town, you can summon a demon to kill someone in vengeance for somebody else, for murdering somebody else. Yeah. And... The thing is, is that there's a price to pay, as there always is, and like they're and like they never do. He does not ask what it is, and when he finds out, it's not a good price to pay. Uh huh. The movie is available with a couple of services: a subscription to Prime Video or Hoopla, or you can watch it free on Tubi or Pluto TV. You can rent it for as low as four dollars and buy it for as low as five dollars on Prime Video. Everywhere else, it's fifteen or so. Should people watch Pumpkinhead? I would say yes. Yeah. I would say yes. It was a fine little movie. I liked it. Yeah. It's not the best thing I've ever yeah, seen, but I, I liked mean, it, it. It didn't blow my mind or anything like that. But, but it's good. Yeah, I was generally pleased throughout. Mm -hmm. It was compelling stuff, I would say, and it's not too complicated. <laughs> so you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1988's Pumpkinhead. Imagine the unthinkable has happened. Nobody saw him until it was too late. I told him it was an accident. Then imagine the darkness of your anger given form. What did you do? Millennium's Lance Henriksen shows you the price of revenge. Can't you stop this? Can't you call it off? Nothing can call it off. Pumpkinhead, coming up next. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Pumpkinhead begin? With a red, red fire. Yeah. Like a long intro sequence with a red-tinted fire. Yes. But then we get a cue card of 1957, uh -huh. and we get to see these people living in, like, a shack. <laughs> like, uh -huh. everything is one room. Yes. <laughs> it looks like we're, like, the 1800s, uh -huh. but it's 1957, and... A little boy is frightened and his mother is telling him to go to bed. She's scared too. 
and the father has a shotgun and you don't know what's going on and this guy outside is running around being chased and he begs to be let in but they don't let him in and when the little boy says mommy why won't daddy help him she says because he can't he just can't that little boy a young lance henriksen or at least his character Yes. Is, is experiencing the phenomenon of Pumpkinhead. Mm-hmm. Now the man outside, Dick Warlock. Does that name sound familiar to you, Kelsey? Yes. He was Michael Myers in Halloween 2. Really? Yeah, he's a stuntman. How and, funny. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, the kid does not go to sleep. And he gets up and he sees Pumpkinhead murder this man. So he believes it. He knows it's real. It's this sort of like Rawhead Rex thing where he sees him on the moor. It's not. <laughs> it's like a forest, but like he's on top of an elevated hill and it's very misty. backlit and yes. misty. Uh-huh. And yeah. And it's all because somebody thinks he murdered a girl. We don't know if he did or he didn't. He claims he didn't. Yeah. And I I think that's the thing is... This family, this father, is not the one who summoned him. No. They're just a family that knows about Pumpkinhead and knows you don't get in the way. Yes. As long as you don't get in the way and you're not the person that it was sent to kill, he doesn't care about you. Yeah. Cut to the present. The present day. And Lance Henriksen has a son and he has a great relationship with his son. Yeah, like, little Billy. Mm-hmm. But Billy is obsessed with his dog, Gypsy, and Gypsy likes to get into trouble. Who is Gypsy, Kelsey? Gypsy is Barney from Gremlins. Yes, the only two film credits to this dog's name. <laughs> Little dog named Mushroom. Oh, a cutie. <laughs> yeah. So this kid made him a necklace, which is going to become important at the very end of the film. Yeah. That's how we know who he is. Mm-hmm. Then we get to see our teens, and we have a group of them in, like, a van, I think, or a truck. A truck, yeah, and, and then there's a car. they're hauling uh, dirt bikes, mm-hmm. and then you have a rich, drunk asshole in his, whatever it's called. His sports car, his sports convertible. Car. Convertible, thank you. And we're going to find out later that he has already, in, within the last year, hit a girl while driving under the influence and it, she wasn't killed, but she was hurt. And so he's on probation and here he is driving like an asshole and drinking while driving. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But you do not care that he is going to die. Although you don't know he's going to die for quite some time. We find out that Lance Henriksen and his son run the local grocery store. I don't know if this kid is getting an education. <laughs> I don't think he is. <laughs> I would wonder about that situation. Uh-huh. But they are running this grocery store. And these college kids who are like out for a trip in their cabin. To go dirt bike riding. Stop there. And like they're, they're, they're city assholes. Like this one girl is just taking pictures of them like they're third world country people. Yeah. Uh-huh. Don't worry, the camera won't steal your soul. <laughs> yeah, but one of the girls, one of the young girls that they're going to run into doesn't even know what a camera is. Okay. One of the young girls is Maya Bialik, or Blossom, or currently the host of the special Jeopardy episodes. Mm-hmm. I have no idea who that is. She's on Big Bang Theory. That's who? She's Sheldon's girlfriend, I think. Mm. I don't know, whatever. But so... 
these kids show up because their dad is here to get his feed as among well as, other things yeah yeah was well some other stuff but the guy's like ah shit i left the feed back at home and while they're having that conversation the teenagers are talking to the kids outside and one of the kids steals lance henriksen's son's billy's ball and when they find out they start taunting him with what I thought was going to be the real poem, but apparently not. But it's no, a, a lot real, of that was the real poem. But not all of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a really long chant. Uh-huh. Keep away from pumpkin head unless you're tired of living. His enemies are mostly dead. He's mean and They know it all, and where'd they learn it? Who knows? Yeah. But so one of the girls, like, stops them from doing it, and this kid, like, gives her this look. Like, you think, like, the kid is going to do something to her, but he doesn't. He does one of those, at her, you know, to kind of scare her or whatever. Mm -hmm. This is bunt. But so this dad is like, you better bring that feed to my house before dark. So Lance Henriksen is like, all right, Billy. I gotta go back up to the house, and I gotta get this feed, so you just watch the store, okay? Which, under any other day, any other circumstances, this would probably be absolutely fine. Uh-huh. But you are leaving your son with his dog right. that it likes to run away while these kids are dirt biking right outside your grocery store. And I'm like, this is where people come to get food. Right. And this is where people come to do business. And you're going to dirt bike right outside it. Like, how much of an asshole are you? Seriously, just wait five minutes and they'll leave. Yeah. He just needed to get it before dark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he goes, and I called it way before it happened. Uh-huh. The dog runs outside. The kid goes after the dog, and he gets right in the way and gets hit by Joel. So Joel is the dickhead who was drunk driving in the convertible. He has his little brother Steve with him, who's also riding on dirt bikes, and barely misses Billy. Mm-hmm. And then Joel does not. Yes. Joel's the one that insisted they start riding. Yes. This is all Joel's fault. Yes. But so he, it's weird because they try to call from inside the store, but they say they can't get through. Chris, did you get through? All right. No phone. What about that guy in the stand? He's gone. He's gone. He's gone. Oh, God. Get to the cabin. There's a phone over there. It's all right. Chris. Take care of her and I'll stay with the kid. Yeah. I don't remember that at all. I would have just assumed there's no phone inside. But so they all decide that they, well, Joel takes off like a jackass. Uh uh, And the rest of them are like, well, I guess we'll go back to the cabin and we'll call from there. And one guy does stay behind, which is why I am entirely confused about Lance Henriksen for the rest of the film. Like, or at least until he changes his mind. He will continually say they left him. Yeah. They 
didn't. Yeah. And uh-huh. if you had bothered to, of course, of course, the team could have said something. Yeah. But he says, all he said was it's an accident. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But the guy doesn't ask him. I understand it's not his job to ask him. He just found out his son is dying. But why doesn't the kid say anything? And anyway, the kid's still there. So they did not leave him. Right, yeah. That bothers me for the rest of the film. It's like the biggest flaw. He says movie. one time that they left. No, he says it like three times. Mm, okay, maybe. But I also love that when, okay, the, so it's one girl who sees Billy running out towards the dog and they all see it too. Uh-huh. But she's the only one that takes the initiative to run after the kid. I think that's Tracy, if I remember correctly. She will trip and fall and all the other teens run to her aid. And not the kid. And I'm like, there is a child. Yeah, what do you she think was she running was running after at? A child. Yeah, it is. Uh-huh. It like mm, these are these are issues. These are some issues. But the movie does a lot of other things really well. Yeah. Back at the cabin, Joel takes the phone jack out of the wall, mm-hmm. not allowing them to call, and then he locks two of them into a closet. Yeah. So. Chris gets really upset, the guy who's not Joel's brother. Chris gets really upset and punches him because he was getting really uppity with the women in the room. Joel takes the opportunity to hit Chris on the back of the head with a log by the fireplace. And yeah, locks Chris and Tracy in a closet. Yeah, so everybody wants to do something about this kid except for Joel. And I really fucking appreciated that. Yes. I loved that this was not, I know what you did last summer. Uh Uh-huh. You know? Because if it was, you wouldn't really, I mean... You'd be rooting a little bit for them to get punished. For Pumpkinhead, yeah. Yeah, uh Like, a little bit on that side. Even, even Joel is like, I'm a big fucking fuck up and... It's not going to change unless I change it. I'm always fucking up. My whole life, one big fuck up. But it stops now. And he will change his mind, let them out of the closet, and like, okay, let's go, let's do something about this. And that is when it's too late. It's too late. Yep. It's just too little, too late. But like, everybody is like... You know, it's this idea that there is no chance. Vengeance leaves no chance for forgiveness. And every one of these kids deserved forgiveness, even Joel, to an extent. (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't mean just let him off the hook. He deserved to be punished. Joel has hit two children from from drinking and totally. driving. No, he deserves to be punished. He deserves to go to jail. And he, he hit one of his friends but, over the head with a log. Yes. <laughs> that can kill a person but if you he hit does, somebody in the wrong place. He does, through his own realization that his brother helps him with, well, we're not at that moment yet, but he does, he's like, you know what, you're right. I need to face the music. And he goes to do that, but it's too late. And he's been marked. It's just too late, too late. So... It's interesting what this movie says about what vengeance is. Oh, the cabin that they're at, by the way, is the same cabin from Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Yay! How fun. And apparently it's in New Blood. And apparently it's the cabin that they all go hunting at in Parks and Rec. And it's been used quite a bit. Is it a real cabin? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's funny. It was in Parents. Remember Parents? Randy Quaid, 
and his wife are when did cannibals. they go to a cabin? I don't remember. I don't remember them going to a cabin. But it is a filming location. Twenty two credits. That's awesome. Yeah. What an awesome cabin. It's just on Topanga Canyon. Oh. <laughs> in Topanga. <laughs> so the kid dies in his father's arms. Tonight. This is a child dying. <laughs> Must have been something you said. <laughs> but so, well, we see that the kid dies and he gets really upset. We cut back to the cabin where the brother shows up. Steve. Steve. Joel is like, what happened? And Steve says, Look, the kid's father showed up. He took the kid away. And I think everything's going to be okay. Really? Yes. You tell him what happened? I told him it was an accident. And? And he, and he just looked at me. What do you mean he just looked at you? I don't know. And Joel goes to strangle his brother. Yeah. He's like, tell me everything. Yeah. Don't lie to me. He looked at me like he wanted to kill me. Guys, fucking sucks on he every does. level. He really does. Yeah, he says, don't lie to me. And that's when Joel says he looked like he wanted to kill me. Mm-hmm. Which is then when we cut to Lance Henriksen going to that guy who came to him for the feed. Yes. And the guy's like, cool, my feed. And Henriksen is like, by the way, my dead son is in the front of my cab of yeah, my car. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the guy's like, what the fuck? And he's like, where's that old lady who can give me pumpkin head? And the guy's like... All she can take you is straight to hell. And so he refuses to help him. But the mischievous grandson. Bunt. Bunt overhears. Who's kind of great. I love Bunt. Bunt is fun, but also a (laughs) dick. Uh, He goes and he tells him for For 10 bucks. 10 bucks. He tells him where she is and he takes him to her. Her name? Haggis. An unfortunate name for a pretty kick-ass witch. Chris likes haggis. I like haggis. I don't like haggis. Had haggis in Scotland, and it was great. Ew. When he gets to her cabin, she's got a pet owl, and I absolutely love owls. Yeah. mm -hmm. And if I could have a pet owl, that would be dope. But she tells him it's got a powerful price. He does not ask what Uh that price is. So she tells him he needs to go to this cemetery and dig up what he finds there. Ever hear a razorback horror? There's an old graveyard way back deep in them woods. Mountain folk used to bury kin in there. Kin they's ashamed of. Bring a shovel. The thing you're looking for is in there. Bring it back here. Some things I gotta do to it for it'll be any use to you. The graveyard, I wanna know. You'll know it, honey. You'll know. And he goes to leave, and she says to him, leave the boy. I think it's just so that we don't have to see him carry him and then have to bring him back inside. Yeah. You know, like, why do that? Well, she is gonna use the boy in the ritual. Let's not skip some of her amazing lines. Oh, she's got even better lines coming up later, too. (laughs) She explains that he will find him in a 
graveyard uh-huh. for kin that people are ashamed of. Uh-huh. Because we're in such a backwards town that there's so many kin that, that you'd you be, ashamed be ashamed of. of. I mean, obviously, that's a terrible thing to say, but... Mentally challenged or gay or, like, whatever... whatever. I thought it was, like, inbreeding. Yeah, I'm sure that's that, That's what too. I was thinking. But I'm just like, who wouldn't be acceptable to these sort of backwoods folks? Uh, they have a very strict definition of what's acceptable. <laughs> and if you're not covered in dirt... You're unacceptable. <laughs> but she explains that for each of a man's evils, a demon exists. That's the concept of a demon for the seven deadly sins. I love that concept. Uh-huh. And I wish there were six more. Yeah. But only if they're of this quality or better. Yeah. Nothing below this. A lot of the reason why people in the industry really like this movie is because he made it for like $3 million or something like that. It is a bare bones budget. And they managed to pull it off without any post effects, right? Like it's all in camera stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. But this one is vengeance. So when he goes to get pumpkin head, the reason he is called that is because he is buried in a pumpkin patch. Yep. It is a... It is a graveyard full of pumpkins. And yeah, that's why he's called Pumpkinhead. And that that's explicitly why he's called Pumpkinhead. They say as much in the movie. Yes. Pumpkinhead? That's what it's called. Because it comes from no pumpkin patch graveyard. In case you were confused about why his head isn't a pumpkin. <laughs> yes, this is not Jack Pumpkinhead <laughs> yeah. from Return to Oz. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Which I'm fairly certain is where Tim Burton got the idea for Jack. But yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's just me. <laughs> when she wakes Pumpkinhead, this, like, drains Henriksen. Yeah, he, he crumples to, to the, the floor. floor. And he can't even really see what's going on when Pumpkinhead wakes up. Now, I thought that was because she had cut his hand, yeah. and that was their sinking. It was, That's what I thought was yeah, happening. Yeah, it, it is the beginning of their connection. Because he's the one that's summoning him to avenge the death of his son, whose blood they used. He is now linked to Pumpkinhead. And this causes a little bit of confusion, but what the movie shows, and this is going to be important, is that Henriksen will suffer physically and emotionally every time Pumpkinhead is going to kill somebody. Pumpkinhead gets hurt any time... Lance Henriksen gets hurt. That's, it's not a two-way street. Henriksen does not get hurt when Pumpkinhead is hurt. That never happens, not even once in the movie. Every single time Henriksen doubles over, it's because Pumpkinhead's about to kill somebody. I'll take that. I think that works. It is key, because people will tell you that at one point, Pumpkinhead gets shot, and Henriksen doesn't react. They'll tell you that that's an error, and it's not. Because you are never told that there's any sort of connection going that way. You gotta understand the ins and outs. Yeah, I guess. That's about as complex as the lore in this movie gets. There's a really good scene after he has summoned Pumpkinhead. Uh, Haggis tells him he can go home. It has begun. And on the drive home, he has his son next to him. Or drive to the cemetery because he's going to bury his his son son next to his wife we never understand why she died, but she died. Mm-hmm. On the drive to the cemetery, his son will sit up and ask him. 
What'd you do, Daddy? Now, I thought this was too quick of a... I, I, I understand they were going for a jump scare. Yeah, there's a couple false sort of jump scares in this movie. Jump scares that don't lead to anything. But I thought that it could have been more... First of all, it could have been more of a jump scare uh-huh. than the way that they shot it and the music and everything. Uh-huh. But also, he says the line so quickly and then like... The next shot you see of him, he's, he's still down. under the blanket. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. and I think they could have done more with that. Yeah. But I thought I liked the idea. This is the concept of, I mean, if you don't, okay, so I guess you could say the concept of Hendrickson's guilt starts when he first passes out when they summon Pumpkinhead, right? Because that's, it physically manifests in him through the reactions that he has to Pumpkinhead wreaking his vengeance, right? But this is the first, like, overt taste of Henriksen's guilt as to what he's done now. If you are getting Pet cemetery vibes, I feel you. There is not really a strong connection plot-wise, no. but there's just a lot of thematic things sure. that feel very Pet cemetery. Absolutely. I just want to point out that he goes to Haggis... Because he's desperate and wants to bring his son back to life. And the other dude, the grandpa, Bunt's grandpa, tried to tell him that she can't bring your kid back. Take him home. Bury him. And when he got there, she was like, she already knew what he wanted. I'm afraid that bringing people back from the dead is beyond my abilities. Mm-hmm. And that's when he's like, okay, well, then I need Pumpkinhead. Mm-hmm. Back at the cabin, Steve discovers that he has locked their friends away and instead of you know letting them out or forcing him to do so he will walk away and like point at him but not look back at him and uh-huh. say you gotta do the right thing and you gotta do it now you, you gotta, gotta crow, crow you gotta, you gotta crow, crow now, now. No. <laughs> I knew that was exactly where you were going yes <laughs> But so he goes after his girlfriend, who, by the way, she kind of went into a stupor for a while, uh, wasn't talking to anybody. Oh, this is Maggie. She's weird. (laughs) (laughs) And now Maggie, like, ran out the door, and Maggie's, like, really religious. Yeah. And brings that up a lot, and he will even, like, to make her snap out of her stupor, he makes her look at her cross Cross? that she has around her neck. And he's like, this has always given you strength. Look to it now. Super dramatic. I need you. (laughs) Super dramatic, but it's fine because it leads immediately to Steve getting yanked up into the trees by Pumpkinhead. With the best line, I'm sure his father has taken care of everything. It's okay. I'm sure the boy's going to be fine. I'm sure his father's taking care of Because they don't know the kid's dead. Right. They think the kid's alive because he was alive the last time they saw him. Uh Uh-huh. He was just hurt. (laughs) I'm sure the kid is fine. I'm sure his father has taken care of everything. And that's when he gets trapped. (laughs) Yes. His father has taken care of everything. So this is, it it recurs again. It's a weird thing that Pumpkinhead does is... (laughs) He climbs into the trees with bodies. How and dare then he, you judge him? And then he drops him. And his ways. He drops Steve uh, out of the tree. Which, he drags him away and then he throws him into a tree trunk. Yes, he loves to he loves to drag. He loves to throw. He loves to lift. Yeah. But I would like to point out here that at one point 
one of the people, like, swings down from a tree, and it feels very Halloween, just like they did in Candyman 3. Yeah. But it makes sense here. Because he's literally pulling people up into the trees. Yeah. That is Steve, I think, that falls out right there, that swings out from the trees. Yeah. That's his M.O. Mm Mm-hmm. So, this is when Joel declares that he's done messing up, and he lets Chris and Tracy out. But like we said, it is too late. Pumpkinhead's already on the warpath. Too little, too late. This is exactly when Maggie comes inside screaming about Steve. She goes back outside, I guess, to find Steve. This is when he falls out of the tree and then gets dragged away and slammed into a tree again. And he grabs her and he, like, carves a cross on her forehead, which is the first of, like, two religious references tying back into the fact that he represents a deadly sin. I didn't notice that. But I'd like to point out that before she goes back out there to look for Steve, there are a few things I want to say. Yes. Damn it. I wish I'd written this whole line out. It was really great. It was. There is. There is a back and forth. I didn't write the other, the back, <laughs> unfortunately, but it was really good. It was. There is. Hail Mary, full of grace and Aggie, blessed art thou. Whatever you saw out there, it wasn't the devil. It was. There is no such thing. There is. I saw it. She is telling them there's something out there going after Steve. Yeah. And they don't believe her. And they're like, well, we better go out there and find him. And she goes, God is the only thing that can Ah, stop what's out there, Kim. And then Kim goes and gets a knife and she's like, just in case God doesn't show up. And I'm like, fuck yes. (laughs) Fuck yes. Yeah. uh Not that a knife is going to help you in this situation, but I like the effort and the thought. Uh Uh-huh. This is when you get to first, well, because this is the first kill, you first get to see the connection between Pumpkinhead and... Lance Henriksen. Lance Henriksen. Ed Harley. And it's a little confusing the first time. It is, sure. You're like, is he experiencing the death or is he experiencing the murder? And you're confirmed later that he is experiencing the murder. Yeah. Which is why he's like, oh, fuck, this is wrong. Yeah, this is I didn't think I'd have to experience it. He's having second thoughts. I thought the whole point was that I didn't have to feel it. This is the cost. And Haggis will later say, what'd you think it was going to be easy? And it's like, well, no. I thought there was a cost, but I didn't know that... Look, if I was just going to experience him murdering them, I could have done that. Right, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, you didn't do me any fucking favors. But the favors. point is, is if you use Pumpkinhead, then... Then it's even worse. Now you're going straight to hell. Right. Yes. Which, wouldn't but you nobody do that knows if you were, that. Wouldn't you do that even if you were murdering the people anyway? But yes, so what I'm saying is... So what's the deal here? Because he is a monster that people stay out of the way of and can't go to prison. You get your revenge, the man you want dead dies, and then everyone goes about their business. <laughs> That's why you summon Pumpkinhead. Well, it wasn't like he was going to go to the cops mm-hmm. about his murdered son, even though he knew exactly who did it. Yes, yes. He doesn't. (laughs) And normally it's only one person. So there's probably one moment of pain or whatever. And then you move on. But these are five kids. Six kids. Yeah, six kids. So he's got a lot more people to get through. (laughs) But so he experiences this. And like, okay, even if 
well, he must know what's going on. He uh-huh. must know that he's feeling this murder, uh-huh. right? I think he's seeing it, too, when right. it happens. A- and, like, I get that he wants to stop it, but he also just starts driving. And I'm like, well, this is probably not the best time to be driving. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, of course. Because he's like, hey. Oh. Yes, pumpkin head and kills the religious one. Yeah, And Maggie. as he's doing that, he is driving. Mm-hmm. But see, he goes to Haggis and he's like, not like this. I see it now. It's wrong. He goes in and her first words to him are, it'll pass, Ed Harley. Let it finish. And she's cool, by the way. Haggis is a fantastic witch. I love her. She's perfect. She's pretty great. She is pretty great. Just like our Candyman 3 witch. Some pretty great witches yeah. lately. She says, it's what you wanted. And he said, no, not like this. Not like this. I see it. It's wrong. <laughs> It'll pass in, Harley. Let it finish. No, you gotta stop it. It's what you wanted. No, not like this. Not like this. I see it. This is wrong. Nothing I can do. It's gotta run its course now. What did you think? It'd be easy. Neat and clean and painless. You're a fool. If you won't help me, if you don't help me, then I'll do it myself. I'll do it. I'll do it myself. You'll fail it, Harley. You'll fail and you'll die, too. Then I'll die. Then I'll die. And pay the final price all the sooner. And he's like, God damn you, God damn you, and some stellar overacting from Lance Henriksen. <laughs> oh, worst acting in the movie right here at this point, which is kind of a bummer. I think it's fine. He's like tearing his hair out. Oh, well, he's going God crazy. God damn you. He lost his son, and now he's experiencing murdering people? But I will forgive it, because that is immediately followed up by Haggis saying, he already has, son. He already has. Yes. God damn you, god damn you. He already has, son. He already has. So good. Yes. Love Haggis. Yes. Now, I like that she tells him the end here, and I totally picked up on it. I'd like to point out. She says to him, because he's like, well, I'm going to go after it. I'm going to kill it. And she goes, then you'll die and you'll pay the ultimate price early. And I think you're supposed to think that she means going to hell. That is, that is not, not what, she, what means. she means. No, uh-uh. Because again, he doesn't ask. <laughs> nope. Nobody ever asks. Back at the cabin, Maggie gets smashed through a window by her face. Yes. She's dead. Second kid killed. Joel runs outside. I'm the one you want. Yeah, see, now he's like, don't hurt my friends. Hurt, take me. Like, he, take yes, me! <laughs> he deserves to be punished. That said, he like has his redemption, his moral redemption. I wrote, that's a fun design. Is it Pumpkinhead? Maybe. Maybe I'm talking about Pumpkinhead. Yeah, because Pumpkinhead is basically just the xenomorph from Alien, but he's white, and his head doesn't stick back like a penis. Not as far, no. Yeah. And I kind of, you can, he's kind of smiling sometimes. Yeah, he's got like a sinister look to his face, but his face will change, and I'll talk about that a little bit. It changes a couple times. Are you going to say that it looks like Lance Henriksen? Because Lance Henriksen looks like him sometimes. 
throughout the movie, Pumpkinhead's face gets more and more human. By the end of the movie, Lance Henriksen is going to look more and more demonic. They're meeting in the middle. Yes. So third kill somewhere around here. Kim gets dragged away by Pumpkinhead. You get to see her boots. Yes. She's got little tasseled white boots. <laughs> uh, Joel tries to fight him off, but he fails. She gets pulled up into the treetops. They come across her, and you see Pumpkinhead sitting in the treetops, and he just fucking drops her <laughs> to her death. Easy and efficient, man. Yeah. I love that somebody at some point is asked, what is it? What is it? And he's like, it's a thing. I don't know. What's wrong? It's got Kip. What's got her? That's a thing. What thing, man? It's a thing. I don't know. It's a thing. So Chris and Tracy and Joel are still alive. There are three of these teenagers or 20-somethings dead. They go to the first house they, they can get to where, where they try to steal somebody's truck. And then this hillbilly comes up on them with a gun. And I love it. He tells them to get off his land. <laughs> get off my land. All I could think of is Redneck Rampage. Get off my land. Get the fuck off my land. <laughs> Don't make me have to shoot you. Yes. You're marked. I can't help you. And they're like, what do you mean? What would we be marked for? What could we possibly be marked for? I can't imagine what we could be marked for. What could possibly have happened yes. today that we might be marked for? Yeah, that's that's a problem Kelsey had with it. It takes them <laughs> too long to realize why they're being hunted. But anyway, Henriksen shows up with his gun here at this house and tries to save them by shooting Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead falls down and Joel's like, Fuck this pumpkin head. And Chris, for good reason, is like, dude, you don't know that he's dead. And he walks up to him. Kicks it. Shoots him. Yeah, kicks and it says, and then shoots it. He's dead. Like a fucking asshole, because that's what he is. And then Pumpkinhead grabs him. <laughs> and then you think he picks up the gun. And now you see yeah, Pumpkinhead's carrying yeah. a gun. And I'm like, oh, my God. If Pumpkinhead shoots him, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> He doesn't, though. Nope, he does not. He, he does more of what a pumpkin head would do. Hails him with the gun and then lifts him up on it, killing Joel. So Joel is the fourth of these kids that are now dead. <laughs> yeah, I was halfway through writing, hey, I got a gun now. And then he just sticks it through him. <laughs> it was a lot and of fun. so Chris and Tracy are the only ones left alive now. They run off. This is the first time that we get to see that Pumpkinhead experiences uh, yes. what Lance Henriksen experiences, which again, the first time you see it, you're like, eh, what's going on? What just happened? So this redneck guy has a dog who attacks Lance Henriksen, who's a stranger that shows up with a gun, right? And it grabs him by the arm, and then Pumpkinhead's like, my arm. <laughs> but Lance does not notice this yet. No. Meanwhile, back at the place with the guy who needed the feed, which is why Henriksen wasn't around to see his son die. And Bunt and Blossom. <laughs> Bunt is like, well, well, is it gonna get us? And Grandpa's like, no. And so he's like, cool. You, you think she's doing like an over-the-top accent? Nah. Man, that accent's everywhere in this movie. <laughs> oh my gosh, these hillbilly accents are pretty great. Uh-huh. You get away from that window and you get to bed. Go to bed, I said. <laughs> you get to bed like I told you now. Chris and Tracy show up banging on the door saying, let us in, let us in. 
And Bunt's like, uh, that just like little Ed Harley in the beginning. And they have to be like, no, don't you answer that door. You go to bed. And so he does. And he tells his sister, I'm going to help them, folks. I ain't never seen Pumpkinhead. I got to like, know like, if it's I real. I got to know if it's real. So he climbs out the window, brings them around to the side where they are yelling at him. And he's like, not here. Not now. They don't know I'm out here helping you. I'll get whooped. <laughs> so he takes them someplace. I figure it's a holy place. So I figure he probably doesn't like it. He takes them to <laughs> but he's fine. this like burned down church. Again, a religious reference. Again, Rawhead Rick's feelings. Uh-huh, yeah. So he comes through the entryway, and sure enough, he can enter in. There's this really cool shot with the backlight and the fog and all of that through the entryway of this burned-down church. Uh, they run out the back, and he picks up a cross and smashes it. So obviously, he has some disdain for religious artifacts. It's at this church where they finally realize, oh, it's because we killed the kid. Yes. <laughs> He's after us. Yes. That's when the kid's like, oh, shit. That's why he was looking for Haggis. I told him where to go. Sorry. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and so they ask him, where do people park around here? Because that's where they parked their cars. Can you take us there? Right. So they get there and their cars are overturned. There is still a dirt bike standing, so Chris hops on it and revs it up, and it sounds really weird. It's turn around, and there's Pumpkinhead standing right next to him, holding the bike chain. <laughs> yes! Looking for this. It's fantastic. Oh, I, I wanted him to beat him with it, but he doesn't. <laughs> he picks up the motorcycle and tosses it. <laughs> That's what he does. He throws things. He throws things, yes. Tracy and Bunt run away, and he's going to drag Chris around for a little bit, and they run into Ed. So now they're back with Ed. So now we got Tracy, Bunt, and Lance Henriksen. Meanwhile, the dog is hiding in the toy box. Uh, yes, so there's this scene where, so they're at Ed's house, and Ed is talking to Tracy about how well, we'll get to there in a second. Bunt is sitting in Billy's room and then Gypsy jumps up on his lap and it's a jump scare. It's a real cheap jump scare. Didn't like that. Tracy confronts Ed. It's like, can't you stop this? Can't you call it off? Nothing can call it off. Can't you stop this? Can't you call it off? Nothing can call it off. And then he lights his flamethrower. But I'm going to send it back to whatever hell it come from. But I'm going to send it back to whatever hell it come from. So that's cool. And then Pumpkinhead shows up and goes into the house first. Bunt and Gypsy aren't there. Bunt is hiding in a closet. And at first you think nothing's going to happen. He bursts through the closet and you see Pumpkinhead's head looking in the closet and looking around. And you see Bunt like just below his view. And you're like, oh, does he not care? That Bunt's there because Bunt's not in his way? Like, no, no, no. He recognizes Bunt for helping these people he's trying to kill. Suddenly, Pumpkinhead's pretty smart. Well, he got in his way. So he grabs Bunt, cut to Gypsy, who's hiding in Billy's, like, little toy chest or whatever. It's so cute. And you see his, his little eyes poking out from underneath the hinged <laughs> lid. It's so fucking cute. <laughs> but yeah, he, he carries away Bunt. 
and this is, I think, when I noticed, I'm like, he doesn't have, like, the big recessed, like, skull eye sockets anymore. He has, like, normal eyes, and his mouth is getting smaller, and, mm-hmm. like, he's looking more and more human. Mm-hmm. And this is also when Ed, he gets these weird eyes Demonized. and stuff. Yeah. But so Ed is going to grab his gun and go after Pumpkinhead. And the flamethrower. Oh, yeah, he gets the flamethrower. And while he's walking up towards Pumpkinhead, he somehow walks into a pitchfork. He snags the hose to the flamethrower on something. It pulls the hose out, and I'm like, oh, no, now he's not going to be able to use the flamethrower. Don't worry, folks. He never uses the flamethrower. But in this moment, he gets impaled on a pitchfork, and... Pumpkinhead reacts again. And so Ed's like, oh, this is like the dog earlier. Oh, my God. He can feel everything I can feel. So he goes to get his gun from like his truck or something like that. Mm-hmm. And Ed actually shoots himself in the head to kill Pumpkinhead. Neither of them die. <laughs> Pumpkinhead survives, but Ed is like crawling on the ground going for the gun again. Pumpkinhead Picks Bunt up by his leg, picks him back up again, and Tracy grabs the gun, and Ed says to her, kill me, and she does. She shoots Ed dead, and then Pumpkinhead falls to the floor. So Bunt and Tracy survive, and you're like, Jesus, man, look at all this stuff that happened, and I was like, oh, man, oh, please, 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 please. And it exactly happened the way I said. <laughs> I'm like, something's going to happen to Pumpkinhead's body. It's just going to disappear. That's not what happened. It just spontaneously combusts into flames in a really cool effect. Yes. And then it's just there burning. And it's like really awesome. Cut to Haggis burying Pumpkinhead again back in that cemetery. But wait a minute. What happened to his body? But it's Pumpkinhead for sure. This is the other thing that I was like, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. Sure enough, when she's burying him, we see that Pumpkinhead is wearing the necklace that Billy made for Ed. The implication being, of course, that Ed turned into Pumpkinhead. Yes. And now replaced him and is going to have to be this demon of vengeance going forward. Until someone else does. But but as she said, you're going to pay it way early Uh if you die tonight. Uh Uh-huh. And that's what happens. Yeah, it's pretty great, actually. Course, they don't explain how she got the body up there, but that's okay. Ah, she's a witch. She's got powers. She said Ma- it's as much. It's magic, man. It's magic, man. So that is Pumpkinhead. Kelsey, do you have anything else to say? One little thing. When he drops, I think it's Kim. He drops a girl from the top of the treetops. That's Kim, yeah. There is a terrible scream as oh, she yeah, falls. Right. It's I ridiculous. remember that. It You're is pretty bad. <laughs> what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Um I'm gonna say how about a sixty-six? 65. Okay. Real close. With effects work and solid direction from Stan Winston. Not accurate. Stan Winston did the direction. Stan Winston Studios did the effects work. And Lance Henriksen adding welcome gravitas. Pumpkinhead is a creature feature that stands a cut above. 65%. A 47 on Metacritic, no cinema score. 
Do you think that that is overrated or underrated? I would say that is underrated. Sure, but by how much? I'm going to give it a 78. Okay. I think it's very good. I just think that, you know, it does have some flaws and it's not perfect. And, yeah. You know, it could have, if it had a bigger budget, it could have been better. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to go that high, but I was going to be in the 70s. I think I'll give it a 72. It's underrated, but not by much. This is one of those movies that people talk about, but mainly only if you're a horror fan. It's not really well known to the public. No. And we hadn't seen it till now. Mm-hmm. But it was very good. Thank you for recommending it. Yeah. Thank you, Kryptonian Orphan and whoever else out in the ether. That is 1988's Pumpkinhead. And the modern entry in our Creature Feature Week is 2018's A Quiet Place, with a story by Brian Woods and Scott Beck, screenplay by Brian Woods, Scott Beck, and John Krasinski, directed by John Krasinski, and starring Emily Blunt, John Krasinski, and Millicent Simmons. Millicent Simmons is actually a deaf actress. This is her second feature film. What is A Quiet Place about? A family living on a farm have survived an alien attack, an alien invasion of creatures that only hunt by sound, and their entire goal is to do nothing but eat, as far as we can tell. Or even not necessarily, it's just to kill, because they don't always eat everything they kill. They go after anything that makes sound. So these people are lucky in that one. their eldest daughter was born deaf, so they all know sign language. Mm -hmm. So that's really lucky. It's probably helped them a lot. Yes. And it is about them trying to survive. The movie is available if you're subscribed to Paramount Plus or FXM. You can rent it for $3 or buy it for 10 Should people watch A Quiet Place? I would say yes. Yes. I think wholeheartedly yes. Although I will use the term that the folks at Red Letter Media use, gremlin goggles or your gremlin glasses. <laughs> I think we talked about this a little bit with Candyman, about how the rules are set up in such a way where they don't make a lot of sense and you could sacrifice your own enjoyment if you focus too closely on the things that are what some pedantic people might consider plot holes. And we will mention them, but for your own enjoyment, you need to not worry so much about how things work. Just understand that they do. If you can do that, then I, there's a lot to really, really enjoy about this movie. Definitely agree. You could take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2018's A Quiet Place. Military fighting a massive invasion. Total devastation. We have to protect them. Promise me. I promise.
rated PG-13. Be the first to see it Thursday night. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does A Quiet Place begin? With a title card telling us that it's day 89. Of what? It doesn't say. Probably not the invasion, because that wouldn't make a lot of sense. You don't think so? Well, again, people start tearing apart timelines and things like that, and they realize, well, if the crops are growing at this time of year, and we know that the It's the Noise was in October, uh, so like they're doing the math with calendars makes it to where where most of this movie takes place, is it would be in the wrong time of year. So they explain away the calendar that they use by saying that it's an old calendar that she just needs the days to keep track. Uh, and doesn't really care about the days of the week, which is totally fine. So you think it's just since she started counting? Yeah, or since everyone got evacuated, or we don't know what's going on in the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. Just that they're almost alone in this town. There are a few farmer families that are holed up in their own homes. That How was they're surviving, we're not sure. Yes, Some of them aren't surviving very well. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we see that in the store that they go to, there's a, like, announcements board just peppered in missing posters. So there was a long history of people just going missing first. And then we'll see in newspaper headlines later that some meteor struck the earth in Mexico, and then there were multiple landing sites after they understand that they're aliens, so on and so forth. So probably more than just the three months that's described in the days that they're keeping track of. Basically day 89 since they ran their massive attack. I, I guess, yeah, I would assume. So we see that they are walking around with bare feet, obviously mm-hmm. to keep themselves quiet. Every single sound that happens is amplified. Every thing that they touch, I guess the sun... So Emily Blunt and John Krasinski are married in this film, and they have and in real life. Yes, they have an eldest daughter, a middle son, and a youngest son. And the middle son is like sick at the beginning of the film, and they are there to get medicine for him. And she's being very careful, but every time she touches a bottle of pills, you can hear those pills jostling around Mm -hmm. and every sound is amplified. And I thought that was really good. It was, it must have been an especially quiet set because you think about the number of people that are involved where I'm sure they got a lot of the sounds diegetically and then amplified them. And then on top of that, I'm sure there's a lot of really quality Foley work going on here. Yes. So... The kid, the youngest son, is excited about rockets and thinks that that's how they're going to escape the aliens. Mm -hmm. And he ends up finding a toy rocket. He almost causes a loud noise by dropping it, but the eldest daughter luckily is there to catch it. But the father sees that he has this toy and he's like, no, you can't have that. It's way too loud. And he takes out the batteries. And he sets them both down on the countertop and says, we got to go. Yeah. So the daughter is like, no big deal. I'll just give him the toy now that the batteries are out. But she doesn't recognize that the kid can easily take the batteries and she doesn't watch him to make sure that he doesn't. Mm -hmm. So they keep walking. They have set up sand mm-hmm. all over this this town Which so that they can walk around. Element of the world building. Not sure where they're getting the sand from. But Not clear. They do. And there is this excellent moment where they are all walking and the youngest one is at the back. Which doesn't make a lot of sense. 
Yeah, you would probably put one at the front, one parent at the front and one parent at the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't let them straggle behind you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he is, and he's playing with the toy, and he's put the batteries in, he makes the sound. And it's a really well done scene, because the eldest daughter who gave him the toy can't hear that the thing is making sound. And all she can see are her parents in front of her who have these terrified looks on their faces. Uh-huh. And it's really well done, and John Krasinski runs, but of course he doesn't make it in time, and we get to see the little boy, not really killed or maimed he much, kind of but he gets taken. carried away, yeah. yeah. I wrote down, it's just fucking devastating. And I'll tell you, it's John Krasinski that really sells it. I, I gotta say, he's great in this movie. He's really, really good. I'm a big fan of both of them. I think they do a fantastic job. So then we get another title card of Day 472. So it has been well over a year now. Uh-huh. Since then. Yes. And now she is nine months pregnant. And yes, it doesn't make a lot of sense that these people would decide to have a replacement child in this setting. You would think that maybe they would wait. I don't know. Yes, the common complaint about this movie is, why the fuck are they having a kid? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of reasons that might explain it. It could be emotional. It could be an accident. They could use protection. If you're wanting people to continue existence without sex and without procreation, then that's just against human nature. So something like this is bound to happen, and this is the family that it happened to, and that's why we are watching them. So you got to keep that in mind. It's not like, what are the odds that this one family also gets pregnant? It's like, no, we know there are a lot of survivors. We could be watching any of these families, but we're watching this one that has the setup for the most dramatic outcomes. And they happen to be the most equipped. Like, they're very intelligent people. Right. He's like an engineer of some sort or something. And and she's she's a doctor. doctor. And they happen to live on this farm. Yes. So they're Uh self-sustaining. Like, Mm -hmm. okay. But then again, these are the types of people that would survive. Right. And all the people that wouldn't survive are already dead now, so we're not following their story. Mm Mm-hmm. And yes, there is silly exposition with the newspapers and the signs that they have written uh, that telling us, like, what could be the weakness? They are attracted to sound. How can we fight back? And so here's what silly, we learn. But it's there. We learn they're blind. They attack any sound. They have an armor. And there are three in the immediate area. If you're looking at old trailers, you'll see that they thought there were three and there were actually five. But in the movie, what we get is there are just three. Uh, and things they need to survive are medical supplies, soundproofing, and figuring out what their weakness is. And to get a handle on the area, they have a pretty big farm with a big silo. They have lights everywhere, two sets of lights, regular white or yellowish lights and red lights. The whole farm is run on solar power, so there are no generators or anything like that. They have a basement, which is where Krasinski works, and they do the laundry and stuff down there. There's a basement also in the barn, which is being soundproofed and is probably prepping for the birth of the child. But they're not done with that yet. It's not completely soundproofed yet. And it's really super messed up. You see that they've got like a box set up for the the cradle. Yeah. And they've got like oxygen set up so that it can stay inside there and be and okay be able and to be breathe. quiet. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's like. What a I traumatic get, that's, way to grow up. <laughs> but that's what you would have to do. Uh-huh. It's a fallout situation. Yep. You do what you can to survive. We see that she's been set. They've set up to do underground cooking. Uh-huh. 
They do fishing, which is the easiest way to cook, you know, and they have their own crops. And so probably the animals that are most alive. Yes. because the Fish they, are probably most unharmed. Because they exist within water, which is difficult for them to hear around. Uh-huh. Which, yes, why don't they live near water is an excellent question. Why don't they, instead of having something set up in the basement of the barn, why don't they have something set up? By the waterfall and give birth there and stay there for a couple of months before and after, you know, like these are all things that they could do. This family did not do. Mm -hmm. It's very frustrating because this entire movie, you're going to have to deal with the daughter kind of being sullen because she assumes that her father hates her because she's the one that gave the kid the rocket. Yeah, she's projecting her guilt onto her father. Even and? though he really doesn't do much to make her fe feel that way, except that he doesn't let her come on the fishing trip with her yes. with him. But from my perspective, it's just because she's a girl. Which very well may be the case. Because he says next time. So it's uh -huh. not like he's, he's doing it. completely unwilling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. So that's what I think is going on here. And he's worried that she is not ready to yeah. go out there but i'm like he's why holding would you her think to a her higher standard right but why would you think that your son is because he's more afraid than she is it's very clear that he still loves his daughter and it's very clear that he doesn't blame her explicitly but it's also very clear that he does treat her differently and she is interpreting that as being more than it actually is yes she's great by the way yes she's very good it's odd that they pray before dinner. It is a little odd. I When that kind of alien invasion happens, I don't know. But Probably be like, oh, so there's not a god. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know. But like you said while we were watching it, it's sort of film language for communicating to the audience that these people are likable. Moral. Good. Uh -huh. Yeah. They're sitting around a table as a family, and even though they're in the middle of the post-apocalypse... They're still taking time to pray before they eat. What good people they uh -huh. are is kind of frustrating and not needed, not necessary. Yeah, but they pray quietly, which is... A In silence. Yeah. Uh -huh. That evening, the kids are going to play Monopoly. Yep. And... It's all like felt pieces that they knit. They're going to play with a lantern next to them. Uh-huh. And they're going to knock it over and cause a fire... That they all just kind of freeze. Half in the bag mentioned that. It is odd that you just sit there and wait. Like, uh -huh. why, why wouldn't, wouldn't you, you move? immediately get away from that area? Right. The reason that they're all being quiet and waiting is to hear if that alerted anybody. And sure enough, it did. And this is sort of a stakes communicator, right? Like, we need to know that, okay, now they're interacting with them in their everyday lives and not just in that one horrific moment at the beginning of the movie when they're out in public. This is their home. And it communicates how important being quiet is because when there's one noise of glass breaking, now there are these monsters on the prowl. So kind of communicates the stakes of why it's important for them to be quiet at all times. But everything is okay. Well, they hear something on the roof, and then they realize it's just raccoons. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, okay, good. It was just raccoons. They don't say this out loud. But then we see the raccoons walking away later, and they're chittering, and then slam, one gets taken, dragged away by we don't see what. Yes. And that evening, John and Emily will have a silent dance as they listen to Neil Young. Harvest Moon. Yes, pre-recorded on an iPod, which, you know. That's, would, that would be one way to get sound back in life. She comes down there originally while he's doing work. Yeah, just to see him. He is researching the human ear 
and fiddling with a cochlear implant. Now, I feel like this is probably important to get out of the way right now. Millicent Simmons apparently is deaf because of a medication overdose when she was an infant. Like My dad's hard of hearing because during birth they damaged his eardrum. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like pulling him out, like trying to maneuver him properly. And they have like these clamps that they had to put on his head and it, it like damaged his inner ear. And so he, my dad's hard of hearing and has been since he was a baby. They used those on my brother. Yeah. To pull him out. Forceps. Now, he's just hard of hearing and he uses hearing aids, which are kind of what this is supposed to be. But their actress wears cochlear implants, I think. But there's a difference. Hearing aids pick up sound and they amplify it through the ear canal, right? Cochlear implants don't do anything through the ear. You have a thing that's around the ear that's a microphone. I noticed she never put it inside her ear. It picks up sound. Now, my dad has one similarly. He used to wear one that that was entirely in his ear. And then he wore one that was around the back, but it would wrap around to the front and then go in the ear. This doesn't. It goes around the back. It picks up the audio. And it does a process of turning the audio it hears into a digital signal. A lot like our recording that we're doing right now. Right. And then the application interprets that into sound so you can play it back later and play it out your speakers. With this, it's nuts. I don't understand it at all. With this, it turns it into a digital signal. The digital signal you see goes further up to this pad that's a little higher up the skull. And underneath the skin is the actual implant that they transmit through the skin, these electronic signals. And then there's this little wire that goes all the way through the skull and into the inner ear and into the cochlea. And it feeds through the cochlea, which is, it's like the shell sort of thing where it's concentric circles, you know, like it goes into itself like that. And it feeds all the way into that. And what it does is it uses that electric signal to send pulses through the cochlea to the little hairs inside your head that actually send signals to your brain that can be interpreted as sound. Oh my God. So that's what it's doing. It's bypassing your eardrum altogether and going right to the nerve, sending it the the electric impulses it needs for your brain to interpret that as sound. Oh my God. So problem with the movie is that this device wouldn't make any sound. My dad gets feedback in his hearing aids all the time because it's both a speaker and a microphone, and those things can cause feedback loops. But with this, there is no feedback loop because it's not actually transmitting any sound. But he does say that he adds an amplifier to it. So I don't know what that means in this context. It's sort of hand-waved away by him Good thing spending we built all the this time. Thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank God we invented the, you know, whatever device. He spends all this time figuring out how the inner ear works and how these cochlear implants work and taking apart other hearing aids and things like that and building this new sort of makeshift hearing aid that is better and can help her hear because they don't really work very well for her. Nothing works. Yes. But I think that's just because he doesn't know how to do it, right? Right. Yeah, he's learned a lot and he's trying to create something. But I mean, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. The same thing would happen to doctors, you know? So there are people that, for whatever reason, we just can't help them? Yeah. And I'm sure there are more modern and invasive solutions for those people. Mm. But yeah, those there are little hairs past your cochlea, which pick up what your cochlea sends it and 
turns that into a, an electrical impulse that your brain interprets as sound. Isn't that crazy? That is very crazy. Yeah. But anyway, gremlin goggles. <laughs> Later at the end of the movie, or to- throughout the movie, really, she's going to get feedback in her implant, which is going to, like, deafen her. Like, it hurts her. And I can understand why, like, her brain might be like, oh, you know, this electrical impulse is hurting me. But it also creates a sound that the monsters can hear and hurts them. So Hurts them so much that their armor is... Like, spazzes out, which is another thing. The first one that gets hurt, its armor slams shut. It doesn't go all wig out and expose them, right? So what happened there... Is it so, yes, I wrote that down. The first time it happens, all the armor goes, it basically closes its ears. It plugs its ears. And later on in the movie, the exact opposite's going to happen. But I think that's because it's just so loud. It's getting through the armor and everything. And it's causing their brain to freak out. And it doesn't know what to do with that. I think it's causing like neurological symptoms. What happens at the end with her dad? Why is that important? Because she's not aware. I mean, she should be aware. He, he. Every time one doesn't work, he has a new one. But for some reason, she doesn't understand. She doesn't understand how much effort he's putting in to actually create these things, and how he's spending all of his free moments working to help her. And she doesn't know that yet. Every time she tries to go down there where he works on that, he says, "No, you're not allowed down there." Again, treats her differently. And why might that be? Yeah, she interprets it because he th- she thinks that he is mad at her and uh-huh. doesn't let her do anything because he doesn't trust her anymore and yeah, right doesn't Which... love her anymore. But how much effort he puts forth to make her life better is proof to her later on in the movie how much he really did love her. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, there are two moments where two and a half moments, I guess, where I full on cry in this movie, and it's when Bo, the little boy dies at the beginning that is very sad and it's what john krasinski does at the end of the movie and there's a little sort of half moment here after that where she finds out what he's been doing the entire time and you know it's like oh he really did love See, me. i just get mad but she's just a stupid little brat that doesn't realize that her parents love her see yeah that's what i'm thinking <laughs> fucking teenagers man <laughs> teenagers suck so the next day, day 473. So she lo- she shows us on the calendar that she's lo- just like one day under three weeks away from, yes. from giving birth. Which it we is... all know in that time period, it can be three weeks before, oh, yeah. three weeks out. We she all know. She is two term at this point. Yes. It is October 3rd, whether or not that's accurate. And she is due on the 23rd. Almost three weeks later. They show us that she is a doctor because she knows all the stuff she has to do to take care of the baby. Uh This is the day that Krasinski is going to take his kid out on the the fishing trip, which the kid is terrified to do. And the daughter wants to go. And he doesn't let her go. And because he doesn't let her go, she decides that she's going to run away. Which I'm just like, this isn't present day like you there's right, nowhere where you to go gonna run to well that's the thing <laughs> i i think it's reasonable to assume she's running away but i don't think you could just jump to that conclusion i think there are other things that happen eventually that tell us that you know, she's probably not like running away for good she takes a bag and she puts the rocket in it that Bo had originally and what she's going to do is she's going to walk to the point where he died, where there's a cross there, and leave the rocket there for him. And she's going to sleep out there. 
We don't necessarily know that she's decided to go for good, Mm -hmm. just that she's going to spend the day away from her family alone thinking about her little brother. That's all we know. But when John comes in the house to tell them, okay, it's time to go fishing, we see that Emily is teaching their son iambic pentameter. And math. And math. He's doing math, but on the board is the the first stanza of Sonnet 18, <laughs> Shall I Compare Thee to a Summer's Day? And it has all the iambic pentameter diacritics over all the letters, uh, all the syllables, which is fun. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? You know. But what is the use of iambic pentameter if you can't speak out loud? Well, you need Why to would hear that- Because you need to hear what it's supposed to sound like in your head. Yeah, but I mean, that's important because here's your little Shakespeare lesson for the day. Shakespeare used iambic pentameter because it made things easier to memorize. Yes. And if if everything rhymed and had a certain flow, everything was easier to memorize. And it was a challenge to write. Even though... They didn't really memorize them. They would carry the scripts around with it, depending them on the production. Yes, stage. We know that. <laughs> we well, considering how we're both English majors. Well, also because we've we, been there. We, we, we went to where the globe is now. <laughs> it has been moved because the water level in the river has changed. <laughs> the where the actual river out uh, is. Anyway. Yeah, it's just something interesting. I thought that 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 is entirely fascinating and something you need to learn by, like, how do you teach that without sound? I mean, think about that. Think about mouthing the words and, like, making hand gestures. Like, what is... (laughs) And now I'm just thinking about the the curriculum. (laughs) I guess that's a good point. But anyway, that that was just a fun observation. It doesn't ruin anything. But so... It is really sad. She does... So Krasinski gives his daughter the latest version of the hearing aid, which doesn't work. Uh But she at first refuses to take it because she's like, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It never works. Just stop. And he gives it to her anyway and puts it in her hand. And later she'll try it and it doesn't work and she cries. And it's really sad. It is really sad. I wrote that down. She tries the upgraded implant in private. It doesn't work. She cries. Yeah, and she just wants her dad to stop because she doesn't want to keep being disappointed. But he doesn't look at it that way. He looks at it as, we're just going to keep doing it until it works. Yeah. Like, what's the problem? So here's a note I wrote down while I was watching the movie. I was thinking about it because we've already revealed that the monsters are going to be hurt by the feedback from her implant. I wrote down... The implication is that the monsters themselves or the noises they make to echolocate interfere with electrical devices because the lights flash. And it's not so much that it just has feedback all the time and they hear it. It's when they're nearby. It causes it creates that. To, the it feedback. creates the feedback. Exactly. But the implants don't make sound. They translate the sound in electrical signals. Maybe it has something to do with the upgrades that Krasinski made. That's you just got to write it off. <laughs> I hate that she, because, okay, so when she puts it on, I was like, how is she supposed to know if it works? Oh, she snaps. Yeah. Come on. That really, really bothers me. I'm like, what? Aren't they supposed to not make any sound? Right. They don't even play with pieces on their Monopoly board. Right. And she's snapping? What? But since the audio design, which is otherwise very, very good in this movie, we hear it from her perspective to tell that it's not, she can't hear a snap. 
But like that would still make noise. Yes. Just because she can't hear it doesn't mean it doesn't make noise. Right. Anyway, he takes his son to a river to catch the fish. I live by the river. The son freaks out when the fish starts flopping on the rock and Krasinski has to tell him, don't worry, the river is making noise. And as long as the noise we make is quieter than the river, then we're fine. And then he takes him behind the waterfall further up the river and talks to him out loud. And it's some of the first actual spoken dialogue we get in the entire movie. This is the case that we brought up before about why wouldn't they just live by the waterfall all the time? If not, at least set up some thing for before and after the childbirth. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense that if you know you can be there and make sound, you wouldn't want the infant around that water so that the infant can cry. Yeah, they certainly don't need all those crops that they have, so it's not like they need to live there. But I guess the other consideration is how do you build anything but I guess if you're building it by the waterfall, you can. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, it doesn't need to be, like we said, it doesn't need to be somewhere that you can live full time. Yeah. Uh-huh. What, why not just have her set up there for, like, yeah. the month before uh-huh. she has, gives birth and gets used to staying out there so that she can be out there with the kid? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But she's at home and she's doing the laundry and that requires her to go downstairs, and she is going to get the laundry bag caught on a nail. <sighs> and this nail is really, really dumb. It's real dumb, because they have marked specifically where you can walk on these steps, because they don't want you to squeak, right? They want yeah. you to be on certain planks of wood at certain points so that you don't make noises, and that makes perfect sense. So they had to mark where to walk. And one of those places just happens to have a nail and they don't notice that. And it's been there for well over a year and no one has ever touched it before. Right. And here's a question. Why does a nail with that much clearance, it's like a good inch or two above the step. Why would you use a nail that was that much longer than you needed? Number one. Number two, why are you nailing down steps in a set of stairs upwards and not downwards thus fastening the step to the plank below it this nail is a phantom nail that only sticks through the plank in one direction and then that's bent down for no good fucking reason and it's long for no good reason yeah and, and when she gets her bag caught when she's careful about everything else she doesn't, she doesn't bother to find out find why out. Exactly. the bag got stuck exactly Just doesn't make any sense. This is probably the most egregious one that's harder to just overlook. Mm -hmm. But so, of course, she's going to go into labor on the day when her husband and her son are far away and her daughter has decided to go see her dead brother. Mm -hmm. So she's all by herself. She turns on the red lights to alert anyone that this is happening because they have that set up. And she has a really good idea of setting a timer Oh, yeah, like a kitchen timer, the ones that tick, 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 tick. Yeah, uh-huh. But I don't remember why it comes to her home in the first place. It's just because she steps on the nail, coming down, and she drops the framed photograph that she's holding of her family, um. and she screams, and it shatters. 
I didn't recognize that she screamed, but I did recognize well, it's like that a, thing like shattered. A, ah, sort of thing. Like, you know, she tried to keep it muffled, but it was probably more important that glass shattered. Right. <laughs> but so one has come and is in her house. But as we said, she sets up this timer so that that's what the sound is. That's what sound it'll go after. So when it does go after the time where she's able to run out of the room, which mm-hmm. is very cool. And she is entirely by herself for the rest of this scene where she is in labor and there is an alien in her home. The bathtub scene is incredible. It is so well shot. It's There's something wrong because the blood, as the camera pans up with her feet in the white tub, the blood comes rushing out. There's something going on. Something's wrong. It's such an evocative shot. And she's doing everything she can to keep quiet. And I've never had a kid, so I don't know. But from what everything I've heard and been told and seen, it looks like it feels like all you want to do is scream. So she's doing a good job of keeping it in, but it's not going to last forever. And I thought that Krasinski should be really proud of himself because he directed this. Yeah. I thought that was very good. Yeah. she. so, So when Krasinski and the son come back... Again, the daughter, Millicent, she is sleeping out by her brother's where they marked his death. So when they when the son and the father get back, they see the red lights and he communicates to the son, your mother needs you rockets. And they know that that means that he needs to go set off fireworks. And so when he sets off fireworks, it's just in time because she needs to let out a scream as she's giving birth. Yeah, it just happens to be at the exact time. Yeah. And that, of course, wakes Millicent up, and that's going to make her realize that she needs to run back home. Yeah. She has no idea, by the way, that she's being stalked by an alien, the young, the eldest daughter. And she has no idea that when her implant goes off and makes the high frequency sound. It hurts her, but she doesn't know it's hurting the alien behind her. Which causes it to run away. Yeah. So we see the monster ear for the first time where the plates get pushed outwards and we can see it hearing with the kitchen timer. Uh, we get the first appearance of the monster reacting to the feedback of the implant here, and it closes its plates in response. So when Krasinski gets back to the house, one of these monsters, the one that was in the house, is gone or it's leaving or something like that to go after the fireworks. He goes in, finds the bathtub, finds it covered in blood, and she's not there. And then we get a hand slamming on the foggy door of the shower. Yep. Covered in blood for a little jump scare. She's inside and the baby's been born. Which, as Half in the Bag pointed out, and I totally was thinking, call back to Titanic for some reason? Yeah, and there's the two kids sitting on the door <laughs> instead of sinking moment, which is also kind of a uh, Titanic reference. Yes. Very <laughs> odd. Very odd. Anyway. So he takes her to the barn and downstairs under the barn where they have that mattress there because they have been attempting to soundproof this room that they made and they're not done, unfortunately. Right. And so this is where they're going to put, you know, the baby under. 
not under, sorry. It's just the image that it gives. It's like they're giving nitrous to the baby <laughs> so they can take it into surgery. But no, they're giving it oxygen so it can breathe in that soundproof bassinet thing that they have. Uh, and now the two adults can talk to each other for the first time in the movie vocally. And she just stresses, like, where are other children? <laughs> and you need to protect them. Yes. Where are they? Where are they? I'll find them. No, she was with me. She was with me, and and then I had to go and do laundry, and... He was with you. How did he... Rockets. So he'd still be there. I'm sure he is. He knows to wait for you. And she is... She's smart. She'll have found a place. They know what to do. Who are we? If we can't protect them. Who are we? You have to protect them. Promise me. You will protect them. It is a good thing. Wow. She, he would have done it anyway, but, but she, she says gives that. her actual consent to what he's going to do later. Yes. Yeah. He leaves her there and she passes out because like we said, it's an exciting moment and there were complications and she lost blood. So she just passes out asleep and he goes upstairs to find the kids, not realizing that somehow, some way, a pipe has burst and water is flooding down. Now, what made the pipe burst? Who knows? Why didn't it make noise? Who knows? I'm assuming the aliens broke it when they were looking for them. Yeah, we assume. when I Because they don't tell you or show you. And I was like, did Krasinski do that to like cause noise? But uh, no, that was not part of the plan. No. And now it's leaking down into the basement area, and that place is going to flood. And Emily Blunt is asleep, passed out. And the baby is in the soundproof bassinet thing. So he goes looking for the kids, and then she gets her own little moment again. She has a lot of isolated scare moments where it's just her, and then just her and the baby. We get this really cool moment where she wakes up, the whole basement's flooded, and one of the monsters is right there at the foot of the stairs. And it sort of, like, slinks into the water, and that is really fucking creepy, because now she needs to go into the water, too, to get her baby. And then... She'll end up saving herself by slowly wading behind where all the water is falling down from the pipe. So it hears that and it gets up to it and senses that it's not anything. It's the water falling and it leaves and she's able to save her and her baby that way. Well, but also the reason it leaves is because it hears the sounds of the other kids. Yes. And so I thought that was a really excellent moment because Emily Blunt is relieved that it left, and now her infant is okay. But then there's instant terror because it's like, oh, I know where he's going. Yeah. He's going after my other kids. What does that mean he heard? Yeah. So two things are happening. Meanwhile, Krasinski is looking for the kids. Millicent found her brother because he was running and he hit, like, a tractor tire and got knocked out or something. <laughs> and then he slid underneath the tractor to, to hide himself. She found him under there, and they go to the top of their corn silo. Which ends up not being a smart idea. Yeah, I mean, it is isolated and that's good. But when she's like, I'm going to try to get back to home. 
And he's like, no, dad's going to come for us. And she's like, he's going to come for you. Now, okay, let's just take that as given that he doesn't care about you. He only cares about your brother. He's still going to come for his brother, which means he comes for you too. Yeah. But she's indignant. And she's going to leave, and when he's going to try to stop her, he's going to fall through the open doors at the top of the silo, not realizing that they're doors, and fall into the corn. And that swinging door is making lots of noise. When he falls, that makes lots of noise. And then he's desperately trying to get to the tops, which is making noise. Uh Uh-huh. Now, physically, a bunch of corn packed in that tightly into a silo, he probably wouldn't be sinking into it. People do really, really die in silos that way. If you fall in, you're probably dead. But you need to relieve the pressure from somewhere else in order to make it less dense in order to fit a whole body through it, right? So you need to open the doors at the bottom of the silo for this to happen. So this probably wouldn't actually happen. But it's still compelling stuff. He's falling in. He can't get to the door that has fallen down in order to hold him up. And so she jumps in after him, gives him the door, but then she's sinking and then the monster shows up and it jumps in too and also the brother saves her gets her out and they're both yeah he pulls her up yeah so they pull the door up over them instead so they fall back into the corn and then her thing goes off even though she's turned it off at this point no she hasn't no that happens later okay it hurts it but again she just knows she's in pain and then this thing runs off. She hasn't put two and two together yet because she didn't even see the first one. Mm-hmm. This is the first time she saw those two things happen. And so she hasn't put two and two together yet. It runs out the, the silo and it busts open a hole. And they're just left holding onto this door, looking out the hole like, what the fuck happened? Holy shit, we almost died. I really liked the expression from the alien, like the anger, the frustration it gets whenever that sound goes off. I thought that was really well communicated. Yeah, with the plates, like, it's almost like it's having a seizure of sorts. And like the way it like kind of makes fists, it kind of looks like it's just getting mad. (laughs) Well, but it also like can't control its muscle impulses because of it. Mm -hmm. I think that's why when it's sufficiently loud... Its ability to close in its plates and protect itself from sound diminishes because it can't control those muscles that control those plates anymore. So the dad shows up and he decides that he's got to distract the alien because the alien's coming after his kids. And he tells her, I love you. I've always loved you. Because earlier in the film at the waterfall, the son tells him, you should really tell her that you love her. Because, like, I don't think she knows. Right. Because they know there's a monster out there. He sends them to the car and he is going to grab an axe and hopefully be able to get the drop on it. He's unsure he's going to be able to. And he's not. It's over the top of this shed that he grabs the axe from and it swipes him away. And then the youngest son can't hold the scream when that happens to his dad. Yells out, And so Millicent needs to pull him back in and close the door. And the implants going off again and it's hurting her again so she turns it off this is where she turns it off and it attacks the truck that they're in now we saw earlier the first time after the first time jump for day four whatever that the kid was playing around in the car pretending to drive it but also that he understood that there was a parking brake right here and that it was sitting on a hill that's going to become important in a little bit so krasinski gets back up he's beaten and bloody And he sees that they're in the truck and it's slashing at the truck, trying to get in, trying to tip it over, whatever. 
Now, we saw it go through the door of the silo. We saw it go through the wall of the silo. It should have no problem getting through this truck. But we need time to communicate this moment. (laughs) Which is him seeing Millicent looking at him and telling her, I love you. And then following that up, which was apparently Millicent's idea, the actress, with I've always loved you. Mm -hmm. And this is another moment where it's just like, Niagara Falls. (laughs) Niagara Falls, Frankie Angel. And he just lets out this pained wail. (laughs) And the monster hears him and attacks him, which allows them to pull the parking brake and the car silently rolls down the hill closer to the home. Ugh. Ugh. Just, again, I think Krasinski really fucking sells this movie. He did yes. a fantastic job. Yes. It's all because he's a father. He yeah. He feels it. That's why he felt compelled to make this movie and help write the screenplay was because of that. And originally, he's like, I think I could direct this. And he wanted to. And he wasn't going to cast Emily Blunt. Because it's like, I mean, come on. Am I going to ask my wife to do this for me? You know, whatever. For whatever reason, he decided he wasn't going to ask her, but he really thought like, oh man, it would be so great if she if she did this role. I think she could do it, like as an actress. And I guess on the pl- on a plane, he gave the script to her because she wanted to read the script. And in the middle of reading it, she stopped. She turned to him and she is like, you cannot cast anyone in this role. I need to be in this movie. And he was like, yes! And apparently he just shouted that really loud in the middle of this plane. And everyone's like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) But he really wanted to cast her, but he wasn't going to ask her. And then she asked for the role. And he's like, oh, God, thank God. Yes. This is the first time they'd ever worked together on a film. How nice. Yeah. mm -hmm. It's very sweet. Aren't they just so perfect? Yes. Anyway. So they get down back to the house and Emily Blunt takes them down into the basement. Now, this is the first time Millicent sees everything that's going on in the basement she wasn't allowed to go down into and reads all the headlines and everything about how they're vulnerable to sound, which is important for her because, again, all she knows is that they have to be quiet. She doesn't really know anything else. She doesn't know what sound, like, how does sound work? What is sound? Like, what must that be like for somebody who's been deaf since they were an infant, right? And she sees all the different hearing aids and implants that he's been tinkering with all the research he's been doing all the diagrams of the human ear is when she really feels that her father loved her which again is like the half moment two and a half i'm like (laughs) get a little bit choked up Uh, and then the monster comes downstairs seemingly for no reason came downstairs when the framed picture broke came downstairs in the barn when it was flooding and all the water was falling through why does it go down into this first basement again when they're not making any noise? I don't know. That's a good question. But it needs I to happen for the end of the movie. I was just too frustrated with the nail situation. I was just like, okay, so now... She doesn't na- tell anyone that the nail's there. She doesn't there. tell anybody about the nail, and nobody happens to step on it again. Right. And nobody happens to comment on uh-huh. it. And you're thinking, okay, maybe it's going to hurt the alien. No. No. Nope. It was just there to cause her to scream, to cause it to come in early, earlier in the film. Yeah. That's it. Yep. It's really, really contrived. You can see why that's part, probably the most frustrating part of the movie. But anyway, it does come downstairs, and she does, 
she's turned her hearing aid back on at this point, I think. Or she, she recognizes She makes it. the connection she at this point. She realizes it. Yeah. And so she puts it on and it hurts the alien so badly that his armor goes up. But then it's about to attack, which causes Emily Blunt to have to shoot it. Well, he, she puts it through the PA, which again, she's never seen before because she's not allowed down there. How does she know what it does, where the mic is, that you have to press the button, anything? Well, but she does. She knows all about the radio. She knows what he's doing down there. So does she? Feel, yeah, earlier in the very first scene, he tells her, this is for the radio. Mate, we're going to try and okay, make the maybe. signal bigger. Unless he was talking about her ear thing. I don't know. I don't know. Because he's been doing SOS signals. He's been transmitting for a long time and trying different locations. But anyway, she does think about this. And after it first hurts her, she thinks, oh, cool. I'm going to put it up against this PA and it's going to be really loud. And it is. And it causes it to completely freak out and it can't control its muscles and it falls over backwards. And they're like, holy shit, what was that? And then it gets back up and Emily Blunt turns around and shoots it in the face with a shotgun because now it's exposed and vulnerable and kills it. And they're like, holy shit, did we just figure out? How to kill these monsters? We did. The government hasn't figured this out yet, which is unbelievable. <laughs> it would have been within the first three months, I think, if the newspapers knew it was vulnerable to sound. You'd think the government would be testing a bunch of frequencies <laughs> to figure out what made it freak out. But whatever. You just got to ignore that bit. We wouldn't have the movie otherwise. Oh, we didn't say Emily Blunt had to watch John sacrifice himself on the cameras, on the monitors. Had to just watch it silently. Couldn't do anything about it. So that's really rough. But anyway, they see the two others coming closer and then camera moves up to Emily Blunt like it's a fucking action movie and she does a shotgun cock and it is so fucking obnoxious. Because they have a plan now. I remember the first time I saw this movie in the theaters and I was like, oh no. Did it really end on a shotgun cock? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It did. <sighs> and no empty shell comes out. Nope. When she does it, too. So, like... <sighs> they've got a plan now. <sighs> yeah, I mean, Which, it was an exciting way to where, like, they, it ends with them having confidence and knowing what to do next. So I'm interested in the second one. I have absolutely yes. no idea what happens in it. Neither do I. So I'm really, really curious what's going to happen in the sequel, which we will get to eventually. Do you have anything else to say about the movie, Kelsey? There's a really sad moment where Emily Blunt... Uh, when she's telling her husband, promise me you will protect them. Yeah. She blames herself for her son's death. Everyone blames. The only yeah. one who doesn't blame themselves, but probably could, is the other son. And he could feel guilty because he was the reason they were out there. Right, yeah. Everyone has something to feel guilty about. I mean, you could argue that the dad doesn't have much to feel guilty about, except that he could he, have he could have explained himself better, or he could have taken the batteries away, right? Specifically, <laughs> who knows what you may need batteries for? Your flashlights or whatever back at home. Take the batteries with you. Yeah, put them in your pocket. Every single one of them has something to feel guilty about, whether it, it, they have responsibility or not is another question. Oh yeah, the reason she feels guilty is because she wasn't carrying her. Four-year-old son. It's like, yes. no. <laughs> my arms were were open. They were empty. I was carrying the bag, but my hands were free. Like, it's really compelling, but it's like, no, you can't blame yourself for shit like this. But it's just showing you that, yeah, you feel a responsibility to protect your children and your siblings, as the case may be. And when something bad happens, you might feel guilt, though you don't actually carry any reasonable responsibility for it. That's just the reality. It doesn't stop you from feeling guilty. 
What do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? Sure, it's very high. I'm going to guess 86. 96. Oh, there you go. A Quiet Place artfully plays on elemental fears with a ruthlessly intelligent creature feature. Oh, they called it a creature feature, too. That's as original as it is scary. I don't know that it's that original, but okay. And establishes director John Krasinski as a rising talent. I think for sure this is expertly directed. He is a wonderful director, yes. And I think they all did a really good job on the acting. Like, the human effort that went into this movie is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think it's really, really good. As a Metacritic of 82 which is a high-as-hell Metacritic, mm-hmm. and a cinema score of a B plus. There you go. So, well-loved. Do you think that that is overrated or underrated? Maybe a little overrated. Yeah, it's 96 Rotten Tomatoes we're comparing it to. I will give it an 80. I thought it was good, but I thought it had a lot of flaws. And Yeah, it's not the most original thing. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a creature feature. It's, you know, aliens coming after you. The only thing that makes it different is that it's after sound. It's like... Yeah. There are lots of movies that are about... Totally. That kind of stuff. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it's a new way to frame it, but it's not wholly original. Mostly, I just thought it was just really well-directed and well-acted. Exactly. They did a really compelling thing that you don't normally see a lot, or in this case, hear a lot, which is they did a lot with silence... And again, you know me, I love patient movies, and silence increases tension. Oh, the tension is wrought throughout. Yes. I love the tension in this movie. Yeah. And the so, bathtub scene alone yes. is wonderful. So that's all really, really well done, and they do it in inventive ways. But I wouldn't necessarily call it original. It's just well done. Mm-hmm. I think I would go a little bit higher than 80, but not too much higher. I was trying to decide between an 82 and an 84. I'm just going to give it an 83. Okay. It's a very, very good movie. Mm-hmm. But again, you got to use those gremlin glasses or gremlin goggles a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. And there are legitimate gripes beside. But all in all, I was not disappointed the first time I saw it. I'm not disappointed having seen it again. I enjoyed it. It's a very good movie. Mm-hmm. So that is our Creature Feature Week here on Pod Cemetery. Thank you to... Kryptonian Orphan and Harry. Thank you both and whoever else may have recommended either one of these movies. Thank you very, very much. We appreciate it. This was a fun week. I'm glad I got to see Pumpkinhead for the first time. It's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Yes, much better than I thought it was going to be. And more than happy to see A Quiet Place again. So thank you very, very much. Mm-hmm. What are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching, we're going to finish another franchise. Whoop, whoop. We're going to watch Ghostbusters 2 and Ghostbusters Afterlife. Really looking forward to that because, of course, you watch Ghostbusters 1. I want to watch Ghostbusters 2 now. <laughs> yes, Ghostbusters 2 is even scarier. <laughs> we said this when we watched Ghostbusters, but there's something about Ghostbusters 2. It was just played on TV more. So as a child, I saw more of Ghostbusters 2 than I saw of Ghostbusters 1. And I have more of a reverence for Ghostbusters 1, but a more instinctual love of Ghostbusters 2, which is very weird. I have a love for Ghostbusters. I have a fear of Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> Not an actual fear, but like when I was a kid, like that's yeah, what it Vigo, re- man. reminds yeah. me of. It. No, I was. I mean, yes, he was scary, but that's not what I was afraid of. I was afraid of the dude from the art place. Oh, yeah, the dude from He scared Alan me. Beale. S- especially when he was dressed up as the nanny. <laughs> Terrified yeah. me. 
terrified me. In, in a very silly moment, yeah, but I get it. I see what you're saying. Uh, so really looking forward to actually evaluating what many people consider to be the inferior of the two movies, and I totally understand why. And also seeing Afterlife, which we've been holding off on this entire time because we knew we were going to watch it for the show. Mm-hmm. Excited so, to finally see it. Yeah, what, what do we get out of that? Is it going to be better than the yawn of a remakeable that we got in 2016 or whenever that was. So hopefully it's better, but we'll see. We haven't seen it and we've avoided reading anything about it. So whatever it is, it's going to be a surprise from us and you'll get our honest reaction. That is next week. Until then, you can catch us at our website, podcemetery.com or on Twitter at podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review a five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even bigger than that, sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that, is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? When we get out of here, Joel's going to be carrying his balls home in a knapsack. I don't want to be buried in a big cemetery. To the sacred place To see the dream I can't escape More loose and fangs that are picking up Now the movie is available I didn't get this information Yeah, it's a very What's the other Clive Barker story About the sex demon? Hellraiser? No, he's got like a big dick And he pees on the guy Razor head or something What's that movie? Rawhead Rex. Rawhead Rex, yes. Yeah. Uh, Preston Young. Young. There's a spinoff show of a young version of him. Whatever his. Sheldon. Sheldon, yes. Young Sheldon. It's interesting what this movie says about what vengeance is. And what is it good for? Huh. Absolutely nothing. (laughs) God. Good God, y'all. Not realizing that somehow, some way, keep coming up with funky ass shit like every single day. May I kick a little something for the Jeep? Sorry. <laughs> somehow, some way made me think of that. Anyway, dead! I love Bunt.